Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so when Judah says in verse 16, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants, it represents a very basic, a very crucial decision that Judah is now turning to God. He knows he needs God. And doesn't it seem strange to you when you read about this that Judah doesn't say anything about Benjamin? I mean, for sure, the brothers and Judah, they got Benjamin and they said, now you tell us the truth. Did you steal that silver cup? And Benjamin is sitting there saying, on my life, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I'm sure they believed Benjamin because, you know, anyway. And Judah says nothing to the governor about, you know, Benjamin didn't steal the cup. And they have no idea how the cup got into Benjamin's sack. and Nothing like that. They don't say anything like that. Why? Why not? Why doesn't he try to justify on really a false accusation? Because the brothers had turned their eyes now away from the governor. They turned their eyes away from the steward who put the money twice back into their sacks. And that was all horizontal vision. And now the brothers now turned their eyes upward, the vertical, and they're looking to God. And they realize that all of these accusations, whether they're true, whether they're false, they're all coming from one source. They're all coming from God. And all their problems have come down to, in verse 16, God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. Now, Job was in a very similar situation where there were so many disasters. He could hardly catch his breath between one disaster and the next, and they hit him. I mean, it was the Sabaeans who came and stole his oxen, and then there was the lightning that came and killed his sheep, and then there was the Chaldeans that came and stole his camels, And then the hurricane that came and killed his children was just one on the heels of the other, one after the other. But Job, it's, Job doesn't start with, well, let's do an investigation here. Let's try to figure out, well, let's really study what, how did this happen? The Sabaeans, the Chaldeans, the weather and so forth. But all Job says about it all is in Job 9.15. Job 9.15 where Job says, whom though I were righteous, yet would I not answer but I would make supplication to my judge. You know, what Job is saying there is that all this that's happened to me, it's all boiled down to one thing. I need God. I need God. And that's the hardest thing for a lost person to realize, that he needs God. And that's what Judah realizes here, that they needed God. So, and then the last thing that that they realize there in verse 16, behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. Now, that represents a total surrender, a total surrender, which in the case of the brothers represented a total surrender to, to, to be 
the, the servants there. So these are the phases that were necessary for the brothers to be prepared for Joseph to disclose to them the, that he's Joseph. See, first there was the abandonment of self, and then there was the stop running away from God, and then the turning to God, and then the surrender to God. And those are the same four steps that any person has to come to in order to be ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You gotta abandon self. You gotta stop running away from God. You gotta confess, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And you gotta realize, I need God. And then a full surrender to God. And that's what it took for the clouds to pass away and make them ready for the greatest behold in their lives, which was the behold of, behold your brother which Joseph is the governor. Behold your brother. As he says in verse 4, Genesis 45, 4, I am Joseph, your brother. Now, this is what it's also going to take for the clouds to pass away to make the Jewish people ready for the greatest. Behold, in their lives, when looking at the Lord Jesus, they will be told in Isaiah 40, verse 9, Isaiah 40, verse 9, behold your God. Behold your God. Okay, now, All the criteria has been met. The brothers are ready now to have Joseph disclosed to them. And Joseph makes the statement to them in verse 3, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. And then Joseph immediately has a question for them. This is something that's been burning on his mind. So he no longer, he no sooner says, I am Joseph, but then he follows up with this question, doth my father yet live? Now that seems like a strange thing to us. Why? There's something that happened in the first visit that we didn't really see it until the brothers reported back to their father of what happened. But it tells us in Genesis 43.7, Genesis 43.7, that when they were, they were there in Egypt and they were telling Jacob what happened, it says, and they said, in other words, the brothers said to their father Jacob, they said, the man asked us straightly of our state and of our kindred, saying, is your father yet alive? And have you another brother? And we told him according to tenor of these words, so forth. So during the first visit, evidently, Joseph had asked them specifically if Jacob was still alive. Is your father yet alive? So he probed him on that on the first visit. And then the second visit in chapter 43, 27, 43, 27, he says, and he asked them of their welfare and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he yet alive? So he's found out in the first visit that Jacob's alive. He's found, already found out that Jacob is alive. So it seems strange to us that he asked them if the father was still alive. The father was still alive. He just found out. He knows the father is still alive. Why did he do that? That's the question. Why did he do that? Embedded in that question is a very important strategy that he has. Why do you think that Joseph asked them again if the father was still alive? I mean, why is he so fixated on the father being alive? He knows it. He's alive. It was because there was a special relationship, as we know, between Joseph and Jacob. Special relationship. Now, for one thing, it shows how Joseph's heart is yearning for his father, Jacob. So if that's the case, that there's a special relationship between Joseph and Jacob, what was it about what Judas said in chapter 4431? What was it about what Judas said in 4431 that really shook Joseph up to the core? What was it that Judas said? What did Judas say that really shook Joseph up? What was it? 
Yeah, you see, he said, our father's going to die <laughs> if we don't come back with Benjamin. So you can see now from that statement, I mean, they didn't even know that he's Joseph, but God led them to say that. When they said that, that really shook Joseph up and that he could be responsible for putting his father's life in danger, you know, and through these trials. So right at that point, when they said that, the trial was going to be over. <laughs> they weren't going to go back without Benjamin. So anyways, his question here in verse 3, chapter 45, verse 3, in verse 3, doth my father yet live? It's clear that Joseph had already made the decision that all this pressure and disguise was, was going to end soon because he wasn't going to jeopardize the life of his father, Jacob. But what we can see in Joseph's question is that, like I said, there's a special relationship between Joseph and Jacob and how Joseph refers to, to Jacob when he says, doth my father yet live? You know, he didn't say, doth your father yet live, which he'd said in the past. And he didn't even say, doth our father yet live? But he says, doth my father yet live? Now, from his question here, doth my father yet live? These words were very encouraging to the brothers. How was it encouraging for the brothers to hear Joseph say, doth my father yet live? Or do you think it was encouraging or not discouraging? <laughs> think it was discouraging? <laughs> okay, but it was encouraging. So what this does is it shows to the brother that this is the basis for their reconciliation with Joseph. See, Joseph's question about his father showed to the brothers that this is how they're going to be able to come together again. It was their common father. They were the brothers because they had the same father, not because they had the same mother, because they had the same father. And we have to remember here the extreme anguish and the extreme mental and emotional exhaustion, because they're at that phase, that they had. They needed some pretty significant, the brothers needed some pretty significant comfort and encouragement right about this time. And this is the first encouragement that Joseph is giving them, which is very welcome for them, because Joseph is sensitive to the fact that the brothers were needing some serious encouragement, and this is it. And the encouragement came to the brothers just at the right time. The brothers are worn out. They're worn out. All these problems, it's just, it's all, it's too much for them. I mean, having been practically starved to death, and then having been accused of being spies and threatened with death, and then being accused of stealing back their money that they used to pay for the corn, and then being accused of stealing the silver cup, and then seeing how it's going to kill their father by not returning with Benjamin. And then under all this crushing conviction of their sins against Joseph, they're wanting to become slaves in Egypt for the rest of their lives. And now finding themselves standing in front of Joseph and expecting Joseph to take revenge on them for what they did. All this pressure is too much for them. I mean, they could have very easily just collapsed under all this pressure. And they, they needed encouragement, and they got it. And this is exactly what the brothers got this encouragement when he said, doth my father yet live? See, these words are like rain in the desert. I mean, it brings life back to them. Doth my father yet live? Because they realize, they sit there and said, hey, he's our father too. <laughs> you know. And they think, hey, he loves his father. That's our father. We love our father. And, and with that realization comes like the dawn 
of the hope of reunion as they thought, we can be reunited, we can come back and be reunited with Joseph around our common love for our father Jacob. That's the key. Whereas in the time past, they had been enemies. Joseph and his brothers had been enemies with each other. Now they could stand shoulder to shoulder as friends united in their common love and care for their father. And that encouragement came to them just at the right time for because to keep them from collapsing. And sometimes we find ourselves in the same boat as the brothers. We feel exactly like they do, like it's all too much. We just can't handle one more trouble, and we're going to be destroyed. And that's the very time when, when God brings something very encouraging to us like he did the brothers. Why? Because God is monitoring how much we can take. He's monitoring the intensity of our trials. And he said, in regard to his monitoring, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. See, And so this is what Joseph is doing here. He's saying, I'm giving you this encouragement so you can bear this. And just as God was monitoring how much the brothers could take and then cut their trials short by making this way of escape, which is the mutual love for their fathers, God monitors us and cuts our trials short so that it makes a way of escape. As a matter of fact, the brothers, they saw this. The more the brothers saw this, the more we love our father Jacob, the closer we'll become to Joseph, all right? So the point is this, that as the brothers and Joseph set their focus on their love of their common father, not focusing on each other, they got closer to each other. And so as the brothers focused their love and their devotion on the father, they were gaining what they needed in their relationship with each other, which was unity and harmony. Now, there's two ways. There's two ways to try to achieve unity and harmony. One way is the so-called direct way, where the brothers and Joseph would have sat down together and they said, okay, now now's our chance to bring out all the grievances of the past. Lay it all out, air it out in the open, let's get it open. That's the direct approach to gain unity and harmony, where Joseph may say something like, I have a problem with you, Because you hated me back at home, and you were always opposed to me in every situation in the past. And in this direct approach to unity and harmony, the brothers might say something like, well, we have a problem with you, because you always walked around in that house like a proud peacock in that coat of yours, and you flouted that coat in front of us that Dad made for us. Now, that direct approach, as each other brought up their grievances It would be like tearing a scab off of old wounds, and it would be a painful reliving of it all, and it would lead them to remember, oh, yeah, I forgot about that, you know? And in the end, there would not be a hug, let's hug and make up, you know, let's kiss and make up. No, no, it would have led to deeper bitterness, deeper anger at each other, because the direct approach of addressing all these grievances of the past would not have worked to bring about the unity and the harmony between Joseph and his brothers. Now, I'm not saying that there should not be a confession and asking forgiveness for wrongs or offenses in the past, but bringing them up from the past as a way to achieve harmony and unity, that wouldn't have worked. 
Now, the other way is the indirect method, where Joseph and his brothers, they focus their love and attention on their father. And as the brothers and Joseph both realize, we love and care for the same person. Then they get closer to each other, and it brings about the unity. When Joseph asks in verse 3, doth my father yet live? Joseph is opening the door for this effective indirect method of gaining this unity and harmony between himself and his brothers. So the need that we're seeing here for Joseph and his brothers is to gain unity and harmony or regain it. Well, who knows if they ever had. And that's the greatest need in a marriage and in church today. The greatest need in a marriage or a church is for unity and harmony. And God so much yearns for there to be this unity and harmony in a marriage or a church that he expresses his great joy, his great happiness when he finds it in Psalm 133.1. Psalm 133.1, which says, Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And so, but our inclination as people is we want to go the direct method. We want to get it, get it all out on the table, all of our grievances so we can set the record straight. That's what we want to do. We want to set the record straight and get the satisfaction of demonstrating we were right. And so to get the satisfaction that we're going to go to a Christian counselor and the Christian counselor is going to hear all this and privately or together and then he's going to come back and say, you are right. And you and and you were you, you were so wrong. See, that's not the way to achieve unity and harmony. What Joseph said in verse three is the key when he said, "Doth my father yet live?" Because Joseph was not interested in digging up the ugly past. Joseph was not, and, and he, you know, he was not saying something like, "Well, you know, let's kumbaya, you know, <laughs> let's all just get together and get along just now." Joseph is showing them that, that as they both huddled around their frail father, that they would be coming together in unity and harmony. And when in a marriage there, there's a need for unity and harmony, if both husband and wife only air their grievances at each other, what seems to be like an open, uh, honest, get it all out there, it's only going to drive farther apart. And I'm not saying it's wrong to tell another how you how they offended, and and but that's not the way to unity and harmony. When in a church there's a need for unity and harmony, if if there's only an airing of offenses, you know, following the directions of Matthew, well, I tell you what, I'm going to go first to him. That's not the way to achieve unity and harmony. But if in a marriage the husband and the wife they they turn from their grievances to a renewal of their personal vows to the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and deepen their love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, then the song could be something like, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things that divide us will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So this is the indirect method of achieving unity and harmony by focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the greatest resource that a married couple has for achieving unity and harmony. And that's the reason why it's so vital for a Christian to marry a Christian. So that they, they have this resource to achieve unity and harmony, harmony by their mutual love for the Lord Jesus Christ and their mutual service to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul used that analogy of the yoke when he said in 2 Corinthians 6.14, 2 Corinthians 6.14, be ye not unequally yoked 
together with unbelievers. So what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? See, these words, fellowship and communion, they're all about unity and harmony. And to achieve it, there must be a yoking together in love and service to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the indirect way to achieve the unity and harmony. It's like the two sailors who were on the deck of a merchant ship and they were fighting with each other. They were really slugging it out on the foredeck. And the captain yelled out, man overboard. And immediately those two sailors jumped overboard and they worked together to save their friend. They stopped fighting and they worked together when they saw their friend overboard. They, be, they became yoked together to save their friend. Now, now, so this is the signal that Joseph is giving to his brothers when he says in verse 3, does my father yet live? And when Joseph asked his brothers if his father was still alive, the brothers saw that this is the way. This is the way to stop Joseph from taking revenge on us. And even after their father died, they continued to try to capitalize on this a little bit as they made up a story, which is, which, which is not foreign to them. They're very good at making up stories. But they made up another story. In fact, the end of the book here in chapter 50 has a story they made up. Anyway. It says in Genesis 50, verse 15, Genesis 15, verse 15, when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph peradventure will hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, thy father did command before he died saying, so shall you say unto Joseph, forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and of their sin. And they did unto the evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants of the God of thy father. Now that was all made up. But anyway, it says, and Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face and said, behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear you not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. So the brothers thought that when their father died that, oh, we're going to get it now. We're going to get, we're really in trouble with Joseph. So they make up the story about Joseph. You don't know, but you know, your father, our father, he whispered in our ear. He told us this. So, and so when Joseph saw that his brothers had resorted to another lie, but this time to get him to forgive him, he cried. Joseph cried. And then when Joseph turned to his brothers, he told them that I'm not in God's place. I'm just sent here to save much people alive, and so I'm going to be like God, and I'm going to take care of you and your children. All right, so now the brothers, they're looking to, at the governor who's just told them that he's Joseph, and then he asks this question, does my father yet live? And the response in verse 3, Genesis 45, 3, his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Now, why couldn't they answer him? Well, they're, they're terrified, why are they terrified? Well, the reason is, the key is the last part. It says they were, it says that they were troubled at his presence. That's what they were terrified at, at his presence. The shock was the presence of Joseph. The shock was to see that Joseph was alive and he was standing in front of them. Imagine how their minds went immediately back. When was the last time I saw Joseph, you know, and knew it was Joseph? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Do you have fatigue or trouble getting out of bed or just getting through the day? Are you so tired you can't focus? Do you feel like your life is drained away? Do you have fibromyalgia headaches? I have good news for you. Our doctors at Scanabody's Imaging and Therapy can give you cellular ozone therapy. Why not get your energy back now by calling us at 1-888-529-9016 or visit us at treatmyfatigue.com. 